You're listening to Someone Like Me. This episode was recorded in the early months of 2022. We had just purchased our new Survivor Restoration Campus, and the conversations you hear in this third season will refer to this campus as well as our former name, End Slavery Tennessee. In 2023, our organization rebranded to Ancora Tennessee, ushering a new era as we nurture survivor healing and strategically combat human trafficking in this state of Tennessee. Now, without further ado, we present Season 3 of Someone Like Me. Please enjoy. You're listening to Someone Like Me, the official podcast of Ancora, Tennessee, formerly known as End Slavery, Tennessee. I'm your host, Leslie, and this podcast helps you to learn more about the ways Ancora, Tennessee is combating human trafficking in the state by providing specialized case management and comprehensive aftercare for human trafficking survivors. And we also tactically address the problem through advocacy, prevention, and training of frontline professionals. This show, Someone Like Me, began as a way to have a space for survivors to share their stories with the belief that real stories of trafficking will make a lasting impression on those who want to learn more about the crime. We've had a few episodes about why there aren't more survivor interviews, why we aren't releasing weekly episodes with them, or why the stories we do share don't have details of the exploitation the survivors have suffered. We take a trauma-informed approach in all things at Ancora, Tennessee, and this extends to the podcast. If a survivor isn't truly ready to share or speak about their experience, they will not be on this show. By giving them the choice, we empower survivors to take control of their own stories, which sometimes means not sharing them at all. Today's episode, however, is the first of two parts of a conversation with a survivor who has spent many years in the healing process, working tirelessly towards stability and growth, and has done an incredible job of raising her children despite the circumstances stacked against her. Vanessa is her name, and her story features two key elements of the Ancora, Tennessee vision and themes of this season of the podcast, that of housing and employment. This first half of our conversation will focus on housing and how safe and stable housing makes healing possible. In this conversation, Vanessa is joined by Kelsey Mize, who you've heard on the show before. She's the director of survivor care and has been a friend and cheerleader of Vanessa's for a long time. We recorded this episode in the early months of 2022 before our name change became official. Because of this, Vanessa will use Encora, Tennessee and End Slavery interchangeably which is a sign of how long she's been contributing to this community. Kelsey Mize was one of the first people Vanessa met when she first entered our program years ago, and we figured we'd start the conversation there. Why is housing important to you? Why is having stable housing an important part of a healing journey for someone who's been what you've been through? So when you've been human trafficked, you don't have housing. Like, you don't live in a, most of the time, at least in my experience, didn't live in a house. So I just lived in hotel room from hotel room from hotel room. And so anytime, like, I had clothes or shoes or something I really liked, it would always get lost because 
you can only drag so much stuff around from hotel room to hotel room. And you can't stay in a hotel room, like, for, you can't stay there for, like, a solid week because, you know, of course, that's going to start looking suspicious. So you just get dragged around and dragged around, and then eventually you have to move cities and then states, and you're everywhere. So you don't have that safety and security of, like, having something that's your own. Like, the only thing that is in your, that is your own when you go through that is the little little things that you do have, like maybe your clothes, shoes, whatever. So I feel like a lot of people assume that once somebody comes into our program, their life just is 100 times better and it's super easy. And there's no more issues. There's no more problems. You know, you're good. You have everything you need. But that's definitely not always the case. No. And even after you kind of left our residential program and you were still engaged in programming, mm-hmm. housing has always been really difficult. And it's been yeah. a struggle, um, even when you were doing everything else right. Okay, so after being trafficked for seven years, well, when I went to end slavery, that was my first stable housing. Like, that's the first stable place that I had stayed in seven years. And it was awkward and uncomfortable because you're there with a bunch of other females, and it's just different because there's so many different personality types. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was like, oh, this feels kind of good. Like, I have somewhere safe at night to lay my head down. And I don't have to, like, worry about all that other stuff out there. Like, I don't know. I was just—it was so awkward at first. But then it was just really—it was really nice and secure knowing that I had that. And um, we had moved— to the other, we moved to some really nice houses. I actually got my own room. <laughs> mm. And um, before that, so I have two kids and they live with their father. He would not let them come see me. So we moved into the own house and I, I got my own room and Kelsey talked to him <laughs> and um, let him know that it was a safe place and that the kids would be safe. So he let the kids start coming over and spending weekends with me. It was really, it was just really nice. Um, It was different. And so while living there, I got knocked up. I don't know. It was, it was probably the scariest thing that happened to me because I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't, I'm homeless. Like I'm living in, Mm -hmm. in, not homeless, but technically homeless kind Mm -hmm. of in a way, because had I something happened within slavery, I wouldn't have had anywhere to go. Like, in slavery was my safe place. Well, and in our, our program at the time, we didn't have capacity to house a mom and a newborn. Right. Yeah. And so while she was living with us during her pregnancy, we were trying to find housing for when she actually had the baby because you needed some place to go that was safe. Uh, hmm. And it wasn't safe, and I did not like the place I had to go. But, I mean, it was safer than— in my past, but it was just, it was a nightmare. I, uh, there's a, that program. We found, we got you into another recovery program. Yeah, it was, but it was, right. But it was one of those programs where they force you, like you're forced to go to meetings. You're forced to go to NA. NA has never worked for me. And that's why I, I was so successful. I've been to like probably 20 different rehabs and in slavery was the only one that I ever stuck with because they never forced me to do anything. That was important to you that you made your own decisions. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that I did what I was comfortable doing. 
for me, NA was always just learning new ways to get high and other things to do. And traffickers are in NA, you know, like it's just, it's not a safe thing Mm. and it's not a good thing. And you just meet other people that are, everyone's court ordered to go most of the time and Mm. nobody wants to be there. So it's always ruined my life. (laughs) It's always been the worst thing ever for me. Yeah. Yeah. And because most recovery places look at it like it's a one size fits all and it's not. And that's the difference like with Encora because it's definitely not not a one-size-fits-all. And they catered to, like, my specific needs and my goals and what I wanted, as long as it was for the good, like, better stuff. Now, now Kelsey did a few times force me to go to exercise classes, and I didn't want to go because I was working, like, 60 hours a week, and I was tired, and I wanted to sleep on my day off. And I think I got really mad at her one day. <laughs> I was like, I can't stand it. But, yeah, no. But then it was fine. Um, I'm grateful today, though, that she made me do that because yeah. it, it was for, like, it was it was a good thing. But you bring up a good point there because you said you were working like 60 hours a week. So employment and housing, it seems to me what I've learned is that they go hand in hand. So the job you had at that time, would you have been able to have that job without the stable housing that you had? Absolutely not. No. And it was a really crappy job anyways at the time I worked for a really crappy company. I made $8 an hour. And then I got promoted to manager and got bumped up to a whole 10. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. so stupid. And then we went through a phase where I had to quit because we moved. And then where we moved to, there was another another one right down the street. So I went to work there And what, my second day, I think? It was like, it was sometime in my first week. And I was really pregnant. I was about four months pregnant at this point. I got robbed at gunpoint and um, (laughs) thought I was going to die. And yeah, it was really traumatic. So I ended up not ever going back to that, that one. And I went back to the one I was working at before, which was in a... I guess, safer location. But um, that job really sucked. And then when I moved from the safe house to the other recovery program, that the one that's like, oh, you have to have a sponsor. Oh, you have to go to this many meetings. You have to get your sheet signed. Like, that's stupid. That's making me feel like I'm a prisoner. I have to, have to, have to. And then they're like, not only do you have to have a sponsor, you have to give us your sponsor's information so we can contact your sponsor and check and see how you're doing. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like, this is not going to work for me. And um, my mom would come visit me and you had to have your visitors show an ID. They had to sign in. They could only stay there so many nights. But you're paying like six, seven hundred dollars a month in rent, and oh. and they're telling you like literally you were it paying was rent at this place. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was paying rent there, and um, it was like a full apartment complex. Yeah, but then you had to abide by their rules, right. and you were paying rent, huh. right? And you had to follow the rules. And I even got it was just the and there was a lady they would come by. I think about. Just random pop-ups. I mean, it would be 7 o'clock at night. I had a newborn, and they're like, we're here for an inspection, I guess, to make sure that you don't have anything you're not supposed to have in your apartment, Mm -hmm. Um, like drugs, alcohol, stuff like that. And so, um, 
when the baby was really sick and throwing up and she, I remember the lady knocked on the door one night and she came in. She's like, why is your nose so red? Why is this? Why is that? And I'm like, I had a really bad, I have a really bad temper. So I really had to bite my tongue and just kind of thug it out because it was hard. And um, Mm -hmm. so then after my mom saw what I was, because I can be really dramatic sometimes. So sometimes (laughs) people are like, oh, it it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. But this place was really that bad. And um, I just, I, I wasn't comfortable. I could not live like that. My older two kids hated coming over. It was so small. Well, it was based on my income, so I did that. Well, then in May of 2018, yeah, the end of May, I ended up technically breaking my lease, but I just can't do it anymore because, oh, and this was the last straw, so <laughs> they drug test you, like, all the time. And okay. so I took a drug test, and she told me I failed for benzos. And, you know, it's like one of the strip tests, mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. you can get up a false positive or whatever, but it was a line there. It was a faint line, but it was a line, and I know how to read a drug test. Yeah. And sometimes just faint lines show up. And so um, they're like, we have to send this off to the lab because you tested positive for benzos. And they treated me like I had relapsed, and it almost made me feel like I had relapsed, and I didn't Mm. even relapse. Wow. Yeah. And one of the ladies that came up to my apartment one day, and she said— Something about, you know, that doing synthetic drugs can lead you back to your drug of choice, right? And I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, I was so, and all because I didn't want to do the meeting thing and I didn't want to get a sponsor and I didn't want to follow their program. Yeah. Like their direct program, because like I said, it's not a one size fits all. And that's why I think so many people leave and they they relapse and they leave. You, you can't treat people that way. Like it's. It's controlling. It's very controlling, very controlling. And um, it's not okay to talk to people like that. Yeah. So, and when they got my my uh, my labs back from my drug test, I got a message from the director that said, hey, we got your test back and everything's negative. And I was thinking, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she didn't apologize. She didn't come talk to me. None of that. That's too and the bad. whole time, I couldn't have visitors while it was pending. I couldn't, nothing. They really treated me like I relapsed. And so <laughs> that was the last straw. So my mom came. She got my stepdad's truck. She got all my stuff out of there, which it wasn't a whole lot because it was one of those furnished apartments where they furnished everything, but all my personal stuff. And so, Ended up going to live with my parents. It was a lot. Um, I mean, you were in a you were in a new city. You're yeah. away from all of your supports because you're outside of like outside yes. of Nashville. So, <laughs> and then dealing, yeah, having to move back with your parents. Their dynamic wasn't always stable. No, um, not at all. so that added just a whole nother level of instability. And it was really it wasn't stable at all. Um, yeah, I don't miss work. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. Well, then I want you to touch on when you finally were able to move to your own place and what that was like and the struggles that happened once you finally were able to move out from your mom's. Oh, God. (laughs) So one day, my mom and stepdad, they um, told me, they said, oh, by the way, we're moving to Florida. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at this point, though, I had a really good job. I worked there for a little bit. And then in 
2019. And why did you have to work? What were some of the reasons that you chose there? Oh, because my background, they didn't run background checks. And I had active warrants on my background that I didn't find out. No, I did find out because they tried to get me a, a really, really good administrative position. And I didn't, when my background came back, it came back that I had active warrants. In Kentucky. In Kentucky, yeah. That you didn't know about. Had no idea. Oh, my. And so actually one of the lawyers that had paired up with Cherished Hearts, Cheyenne Riddle, she was an attorney. She got with another lawyer that practiced law in Kentucky, and he was able to go down there. I didn't have to make an appearance or nothing, and they got everything expunged. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. They got the warrants dropped, and they just got everything expunged. It was amazing. But in the but meantime, yeah, in the it meantime, limited it limited it really where you limited. could go. Yeah. Like, I was willing to do anything. Um, You've always been an incredible hard worker. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, I try. So your parents are moving to Florida. Yeah. Yeah, what did that look like then? What was the next step for you? Once you got the warrants removed, it opened up a lot of possibilities for you. Yeah, so once jobs. I got yeah, once I got the warrants removed, once they were able to drop those, yes, it did. It opened up a lot of new possibilities for for jobs and the job that I wanted for the administrative position back when it was available they had already hired someone so mm. it was no longer available but I ended up landing a job through a temp service they called me and I'm like I've always wanted to work in HR really tell me more mm. <laughs> they're like well it's only a 90-day assignment and I said hmm well, I'm already working for this factory and like, girl, I was doing factory work, like hard labor. Like I went home for the first month every day in tears because I've never done any physical labor in my life. <laughs> and it, it was just, it was really hard for me. Um, it, it was hard on my back. It was, it, it just was too much. And I was exhausted when I got home. I didn't have any energy to play with the baby and yeah. it was a lot. So she tells me about this office job. She's like, yeah, but it's it's a 90-day assignment. I said, so it's not attempt to hire. It's not, no, it's a 90-day assignment. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll try it. Because she taught me into it. She said that um, most 90-day assignments end up turning out to be better than the attempt to hires anyways. Okay. So I took the chance at it, and I went there, and I started out as um, the HR assistant, and I, I loved it. I love mm. that job. I what did you there. love about it? What I love about yeah. it? Yeah. I loved the support. And and that's what was different this whole time around, too. I've had so much more support through in slavery. Like, I told Kelsey, what did I tell you? You're the neighborhood hope dealer. <laughs> hope <laughs> dealer. She, li she literally has any sort of resource I can think of. Like, if I mm. need someone to help for budgeting, she's got mm -hmm. it. If I need a friend, she's got it. That's Daisha. If I need a work mentor, she's got the hookup. Like, she literally has, like, I go to her for anything I need. Mm -hmm. Like, anything I need. And she she always comes through. Sometimes it takes her a little while. But, oh. <laughs> but no, 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 no. But, but it, it's worth the wait. It's so worth the wait because it's so, like, the end results are so amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um yeah, it's it's really been a blessing for real. It's changed my life. Just the whole support system and having so much more support makes all the difference. I've never had this much support in my life ever. And have just so many people just believe in me and 
That made me cry. <laughs> but that, <laughs> but because of that, you were able to get into a job like that allowed yes. you to have a positive work experience. Yes, it did. Yeah. And it was, you know, they weren't just coworkers. They're like my work family. And even though I'm in human resources, like I'm really close with the director of estimating and the director of engineering and like everybody just loved me and mm -hmm. <laughs> I love them. And they're just really nice, good-hearted people. They all go to several different churches. All of them, when they found out that they and they don't they didn't judge me, but when they found out I weren't going to church, they're like, "Oh, come to our church, come hmm. to our church." And you know, I did a few times, but I I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there <laughs> yet. Okay, okay mm -hmm. I have to take teeny tiny baby steps, and that's why Encore works so well for me because. They let me take those baby steps because I'm one. Like you ever heard this saying, and my boss tells me this all the time when I get overwhelmed. Um, like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm -hmm. You can't just like expect to go into like a 30 day program, a 60 day program, and just bam, boom, you're stable and all that years of trauma is gone. Like it does not work like that at all. Like it takes, and you have to be willing. You have to like. For me, I had to hit my rock bottom like my yeah it was it was I was at the worst most depressed like at that point I didn't care I, I wanted to die like I woke up every day wanting to die and um I just I hated my life then and so going to jail because I I've never been to jail in my life so like the 60 90 days I spent there yeah, that was that was just enough for me to be like, mm. I'm, I'm done. I need help. And I was able to sit down with my, um, I had a public defender, and she was really good. I was able to sit down with her, tell her my whole entire story, what was going on. And then she offered me cherished hearts, okay. which leads, puts you in, in slavery. But um, at first I told them no. I said, nope. I'm going to sit in here and do my little six months and go back to doing what I've what I've been doing because that's all I know. And I'm, I turned 30 in jail <laughs> mm. and I'm like, what, you know, I'm 30 years old. I, I, I have nothing going for me. Like I'm just going to be this person all my life. And um, so I guess I needed that time to sit in jail as traumatic as it was just to kind of like sit back and think and reflect on life and, get my head clear because being in jail for a week, like you still have all the drugs in your system and your mentality, like you have that street mentality. You don't have that. I mean, I don't know what a normal person is, but <laughs> you don't, you don't have like a, I can't say normal or regular. You, you don't have a good mentality, yeah. so you could, like a you could, positive mentality. So you couldn't think clearly until you had that space to think clearly. Right, and I yeah. needed that. And um, mm. yeah, I did a lot of journaling in there because that's so therapeutic for me. Vanessa's story does not end there. We'll have part two of Vanessa's interview on a future episode, interwoven with conversations with Kelsey and the expansion of Ancora, Tennessee's program model. This new model is designed to better address the issues Vanessa and so many of the survivors we serve face during the recovery journey. We'd like to thank Junior League of Nashville for being a community awareness partner with someone like me. Our producers are Stacey Elliott, Caitlin Reed, and myself, Leslie Eiler-Thompson. In addition to being a producer, Claire Bidegary Curtis is our engineer, and she is assisted by Selena De La Cruz. Special thanks to our intern, Riley Herman. 
and the original music you hear is by Zach and Maggie White.